The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning to you all, and a particular good morning to the Clayton family and friends who are here on this special day. I hope what I'm about to say will not introduce unwelcome ideas into your household. I just want to state this at the beginning. Some of the rest of you know that uh, our family has recently grown by two new members, two black Labrador retrievers, sisters named Thelma and Louise, (laughs) have joined our household. They had been rescued by a family that turned out to have a member who was highly allergic, and so they needed to uh, uh, find a new home for these for these wonderful dogs, and we were alerted to this predicament by a colleague of Jamie's at work who knew the family, and uh, one thing led to another, and before we knew it, uh, two weeks ago today, that family delivered Thelma and Louise to our home. Now, even two months ago, this would have been a completely unacceptable state of affairs, totally unacceptable to me. The talk of getting a dog had been in the air in our family for a couple of years. And any of you who know our family dynamic will know that I was the one obstacle, the one stumbling block to this actually happening. Too much hair, too many smells, too much chaos, too much responsibility. I just wasn't up for it. But at a July 4th party, while enjoying food and conversation with some old friends, I was converted to dogs by the presence of Finn. Finn was a large, standard poodle with a gentle, playful disposition, as well as a sensible haircut, (laughs) which made a big difference. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
In this case, the world to which I had been conforming was my own rigid world of imagined order and imagined predictability. My mind and my heart had been transformed by a living experience. And thus, I could be open to discerning God's good and acceptable and perfect will, which, of course, is to have two dogs in our house. In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul is obviously tackling much, much larger issues than pets. He's interested in the cosmic unveiling of the gospel and especially the relationship of Jew and Gentile in the unfolding of this gospel in the narrative of history. For these two groups of people, for Jews and Gentiles to join in fellowship would require transformation and non-conformity to the world, non-conformity at a deeply profound level. Paul has not planted this church in Rome, and he's never been there, but he clearly has close relationships to some of the individual members. He's hoping to stop there on his way to Spain to start some new missionary activity there, and he's introducing himself to the church by way of this theological treatise. At least it starts out as a theological treatise. And he brings more than two decades of teaching and preaching and pastoral care and experience to bear on how to conceive, how to imagine this gospel that makes all things, all things new, especially those relationships between those who were once far apart and who now are called to be together, in this case, Jew and Gentile, how this covenant that God had made with the Jewish people has been radically expanded to include all people, all people. And these verses that we hear this morning are the transition in this letter from a deep and complicated and nuanced theology to a very clear and practical and concrete ethics. So we might say it's the hinge between what one believes and what one says to how one actually behaves and lives one's life. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is Paul's call to action, grounded in the unbelievably deep and loving compassion of God, who in the ministry of Jesus Christ has called the whole world, has invited every creature to be in fellowship with one another and to be in fellowship with God. Paul tells us that the mercies of God, the mercies of God, make this invitation possible. And by mercies of God, I'm told that underneath this phrase, you could also say the heart of compassion, God's heart of compassion, or even the bowels where compassion resides. It's that deep. It's that elemental. 
It's that profound, this love that God has that calls us into relationship with God and with one another. That's the mercies of God. Our bodies. We're called to present our bodies. Now, body here means more than just our physical selves, more than just our flesh and bones. It means the totality of our being. All that we are, all that we do, all that we say, all that we think, all that we experience, everything about who we are, we are to present to God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, if you're like me, the word sacrifice is alarming. It conjures up lots of pain, lots of loss, serious trauma, basically very unpleasant. There's not a nice part about it that I can immediately think of when I first hear that word. Somehow, my thinking goes, if, if God wants sacrifices, then God's will must always be identified by some manner of intense pain or discomfort. And I don't want to do it. But in fact, the true effectiveness of sacrifice is to be measured in a different way. The Catholic monk and mystic Thomas Merton writes somewhere that the true measure of sacrifice, the true measure of effective sacrifice, is not how much pain is either inflicted or suffered. It's not about the pain. But rather, how and to what extent are barriers broken down and our distances bridged. It's not about how much pain. It's about how much distance is bridged and how many and how much are divisions leveled. So a living sacrifice is one that continues to build bridges, even starts to build bridges and break down walls between God and among neighbors. In Paul's world, for Jews and Gentiles to come together under the gospel, this would require intense sacrifice. So high were the walls and so far and so deep were the divisions. It would have required sacrificial non-conformity, consistently placing one's whole being in the place of being transformed. A willingness to defy ancient social and religious barriers. In today's Gospel reading from Matthew, we have an archetypal example, maybe the archetypal example of renewing of the mind, of transforming, the transformation of consciousness flowing from Peter's willingness to present his whole self, his whole self to God. Peter's asked by Jesus, who do you say that I am? 
Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Peter has been transformed by his consistent sacrificial fellowship with Jesus and with Jesus' friends. And as we know from his life story, Peter is repeatedly in a position. He repeatedly puts himself in a position to offer himself for renewal of mind and transformation of life. Every day, it seems, or every episode in the gospel and the gospel of, and in the uh, Acts of the Apostles, Peter has chances to try again. And as we know from our own life stories, so are we repeatedly in a position to offer ourselves for, for renewal and transformation. This morning is one of those times. It happens that it's in church. Most of our opportunities for renewal and transformation are in our daily lives. But this morning, we get to do it in church. Because this morning, we get to baptize Trey and Tristan and bring them into the fellowship of Christ's church. In our baptismal service, we stand alongside those being baptized and we reaffirm our own baptismal promises. What better symbol is there? What better reminder is there of Paul's exhortation to present ourselves as living sacrifices, to be renewed and transformed by the compassionate love of God? And what better reminder that we do not accomplish this on our own, but through the power of the Spirit in the community of the church. I appeal to you, my sisters and brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen.